0: and we're going to read the whole chapter. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, if you'd like to follow on with one, there are Bibles on the back table that you're free to use. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting verse 1. We'll read the whole chapter together. To the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger... Submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. To him be be the power for ever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all who are in Christ.
1: Let's pray. Father, your word is very, very precious to us. Without it, we, we wouldn't know our right hand from our left in the things of you. We wouldn't know how to live. We wouldn't know how to endure. We wouldn't know how to resist temptation or stand up under pressure. We thank you for the counsel you've given us here in this chapter. Open our hearts. Help us to hear. Lead us, Lord, to have a vital interest in the truths taught clearly here. We ask it for your sake and for our own good. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like uh, I reckon everyone here this last week, I've looked at scenes unfolding in Kabul at the airport and i found them distressing, especially to hear of suicide bombing. But witnessing the breakdown of law and order in a society, it's just, it's never easy to watch. And over the years on TV, I guess we've seen many times that sort of thing, rioting, looting, different things that happen, whether it's the Black Lives Matter movement or... Uh, riots over some other sort of issue pressure on any social group can cause it to disintegrate to descend into chaos and leadership will play a crucial role in holding things together or in just letting things fall apart if they don't do the right thing so the church is no different This chapter, Peter is wrapping things up for a people who are enduring persecution and he finishes off by addressing the leaders of the church and he tells them the crucial role they are going to play in how the family of believers will stand up under persecution. And he gives them some real good heartfelt advice about their motives and then he addresses young people and then he addresses if you like everybody so it's almost like he gives a 3 point plan for how to deal with persecution so i think we need to listen because things are mounting for us we we we're, we're now the bad guys not the good guys in our society and we need to know how to stand up when people oppose us. What are the best kinds of ways of handling the pressures that will come our ways? So verses 1 to 4 to the elders, and I'll be spending some time on that. Verses 5 to 7, the younger. Verses 8 to 11, everyone. And then just a little wrap-up with some encouraging assurance. And by the at the end... I'm going to ask someone, someone up who has uh, dealt with persecution. So they're going to share an incredible story, a true story. And it's, these things are not theoretical. They're affecting people amongst us here in this room this morning. So first, Peter addresses himself to the elders among you. Notice that phrase, among you. The elders were going through what everybody else was going through. If the Christians were being hounded and rounded up, the elders were too. If church members were the butt of scorn and derision, elders were too. They were suffering along with every other member in the church, probably more. Peter understood the crucial role they needed to play. So look at the wording he uses. He addresses them as a fellow elder. He doesn't pull rank as an apostle. He says, I know what it's like to be in leadership. And he'd been with Jesus and he says, I was a witness of Christ's sufferings. And he knew what they would endure. He he knows what suffering entails and involves. He saw what happened to Jesus. He saw the trumped-up charges that were brought against him. And he knew the pressures in his own heart to recant. Three times he denied the Lord. This wasn't theoretical for Peter. But he also knew that the God who took Jesus through suffering also raised him from the grave. So three times in this chapter, he mentions glory, glory, glory. For every mention of suffering, there's a mention of glory. It's suffering now and glory to come. So look at verse 1. It is the glory to be revealed. Verse 4, it is the crown of glory that will never fade away. Verse 10, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus after you've suffered a little while, will help you, will complete you. So the life of Jesus exemplifies the pattern of suffering now, glory hereafter. Jesus, the suffering servant, endured the cross, despising its shame, but now is seated at the Father's right hand in glory. Peter's words remind us that we also are going to suffer. Through much tribulation, we enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's that's how it works in a fallen world. But God promises to be with us. This week, uh, I... Climbed kwambi Bluff. I'd never climbed it before. I, I completely underestimated what was involved. I'd read on the website beforehand one of the easiest climbs in, in the Western Tiers, and I thought, oh, all right, that sounds all right. I didn't even put my gaiters on. So then uh, I, I didn't go very far, and i you know, get my gaiters out, put them on, have my backpack. On the way down, I, I nearly got lost. I was by myself. I should have listened to David Meadows. He told me never go bushwalking alone. And sure enough, I, tri- I, I stepped over a rock, trod on a root, rolled over on my ankle, and cracked my left shin on a rock. And I'm writhing around there, going, "Oh!" You know, and there's, there's no one to share the misery with. <laughs> you think, "Oh, what's what's going on here?" And then. The previous week when I'd gone bushwalking, I'd had a bath. And all I could think when I got home, it was was when I get home, I'm looking forward to my bath. I'm going to get in a bath. I'm going to soak. And I'm just going to, you know, I'll be a lot better. So when we go through suffering, think of the glory. Think of the bath. Think of what is to come. Think of what lies ahead. That is helpful. And he's urging the Christian leaders and he's urging the believers to think along those lines. When you're going through stuff, think about what lies ahead. Now, when he addresses the elders, listen to what he says. He's quite clear about what they need to do. Verse 2, he says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care watching over them. God's flock. You think about a flock of sheep and how vulnerable they are. They need looking after. They need shepherding because they're vulnerable. There's lambs among them. They they do their own thing. There's these young rams who like to pick on those that are younger than themselves, weaker than themselves. They need shepherding. These the, they're vulnerable. And he he uses that imagery because God's people, particularly those who are younger and, and less experienced in the ways of God, are particularly vulnerable to Satan. And his tricks and his devious ways. And just a little bit further on, he's going to talk about Satan prowling around like a roaring lion. So if a a lamb meets a lion, you don't have to be Einstein to work out which one's going to win. And he urges the elders to pay attention to the flock. And he says, you need to be the kind of shepherd these sheep need. These sheep are going to look to you. And so he starts to drill down into their motives, into the kind of attitudes and motivations they need to have in, uh, when they're facing this kind of thing. He, he'd said the same sort of thing to the Ephesian elders. He'd reminded them whose flock it is. God's flock. Acts twenty twenty eight. Paul to the Ephesian elders, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. It's God's church, his blood bought people, his sheep. Christians are God's people, and their elders have a stewardship from God. Elders are responsible to God for his church, for those entrusted to their care. God entrusts the welfare of living, real people to the eldership of a church. And you think about it, it's a bit like being a parent. As our children grow up, as they get older, we we start to realise, goodness me, I really do not own my children. They start to have a mind of their own. They start to mature. And when you've raised a family, you see so clearly you do not own your children. They're entrusted to you. They're loaned to you. They're gifts of God. And your role is to help shape them lead them and prepare them so that when they're mature, they can take their rightful place in society and hopefully be a believer in the Lord and become mature in Christ and raise their children to know the Lord as well. And it's exactly the same for elders. We don't own the flock, it's God's flock. It's God's church. And the New Testament term for this isn't parenting, it's overseeing. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So he drills down into the motives behind doing this. He uses three sets of contrasts. Not this, but that. So you'll see in, in partway through verse 2. Not because you must but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Jesus didn't sacrifice himself out of a sense of duty. He willingly sacrificed himself in obedience to the Father. Love involves willingness. Think about what it says here. Not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. Elders, imagine if people suspected that we were reluctant to care for them or to endure a bit of suffering or to... If they half suspect that we're unwilling to go the second mile, do you think they would trust us? No. It's crucial. The great shepherd of the sheep who sacrificed himself so willingly for us wants to raise up good shepherds of the flock who will do likewise. Elders. But the principle for elders also applies to anyone who's involved in any kind of Christian leadership. So if you're involved in leading Sunday school, in leading a growth group, in, in leading any kind of a team... You need to be willing to put yourself out for the benefit of others. It just goes with the turf. goes with the territory. Teachers know this about classes. Parents know this about their children. You need to be willing. You can't do it begrudgingly. People will pick up on that and realise this person doesn't care. it's fertile training ground learning to serve because down the track god is going to want to raise up leaders for his church who have enormous responsibility for the welfare of people and they need to be able to give themselves to that task willingly but let me make a point this doesn't mean that elders should be people pleasers or doormats we're not there to do whatever people want Jesus did not try to meet everybody's needs many times people wanted him they pleaded with him stay in our village there's more sick people stay and he said no I need to go on here and I need to go there and I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified and on the third day raised from the dead and he he moved on He wasn't there just to meet all the needs and expectations of others. He was there to serve God, to do his father's will. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's the kind of attitude that elders need to have, a willingness to serve God amongst the people. They're amongst the flock. So sometimes willingness to serve as God wants us to serve can leave us in the same position as Jesus, disappointing people, because we haven't fulfilled their expectations. But we're not there just to do what people want. We're there to do what is needed amongst them. And sometimes they might refuse the help or not want the help or not recognise the help. In at least one church I pastored, trying to meet everyone's expectations for a pastoral visit, just about, it brought me to my knees. I, I couldn't... I, I, I just about internally collapsed because I couldn't live up to everybody's expectations. There's only one of us, one, one me. There's, the elders need to learn our limitations under God. We serve the Lord, the Lord of the church. We, we need to serve our families as, as men leading our families too in the same kind of way because it's God's church, God's gospel, God's kingdom, God's people and he deserves our deepest willingness but it's what he wants done not necessarily what everybody else thinks needs doing. So we need discernment in this if we're to do it willingly and not just be worn out on the anvil of everybody's expectations. Next, the next not-but contrast is not pursuing dishonest gain but eager to serve. Again, there's an eagerness. Willingness in the first one, eagerness in this one so willingness is counting the cost and saying yep i'm prepared to do it eagerness is a readiness it's a it's got that positive note of of anticipation and wanting to do something we're told elsewhere in the scriptures if anyone desires to be an elder is eager to be an elder he desires a noble task so there's he's saying not pursuing dishonest gain but eager to serve so you're not in it for what you get from it you're in it for what you can do for others not for dishonest gain but for serve to serve eagerly when I took a year off in 2015 I needed to do a heart check you probably don't know my story and I'm not going to go into it all now but I went through high school to university and then straight into theological college and did my training and was ordained at 24 as a pastor, one of the youngest um, pastors in the Presbyterian system. Now, I thought that was a good thing at the time. In retrospect, I realised I hadn't learned what it means to be amongst a bunch of people who don't care about God and try and witness to them and maintain Christian faith and the discipline involved of just living in this world. So I I had an eagerness, but after having done this for many, many years, was I just doing this for the money? I needed a heart check. Was it because I wasn't qualified to do anything else? What else could I do? I felt like the in the parable where it said, I'm too ashamed to beg. I, I, I'm too old to dig. I know what I'll do. I'll go and I'll, I'll write everybody's bill down and I'll, I'll make friends. And so doing my heart check before God, I had a year out to just try and figure out am I doing this for the right reasons or not by the end of that year I realized yes yes I really do want to serve the Lord I really do believe God has called me to serve in this kind of way so I came back with a fresh eagerness and enthusiasm and that's how I came to the branch and I'm glad I did but all of us particularly who are in leadership, need to ask ourselves why we're doing what we're doing. Are we doing it for the right reasons? Is it because we're eager to serve or is it because we think we'll get something from it? Dishonest gain, whether that's money or whether it's power and influence or anything else. See what he says with the next set of, of not but. He says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Being an elder brings a certain amount of power and influence with it. Less than we might think, but more than we might imagine. Those who who are motivated in life by the desire for power and control do not apply to be an elder. It's entirely the wrong motivation to be involved. But people who have an aspiration for power and control over others are often attracted to leadership positions in a church. We need to be wise about who we choose and have as our leaders. Because if they're in it for the wrong reasons, when persecution and difficult times come... Guess who they're going to be on the lookout for? It won't be you. It'll be themselves. Because they'll want what they're in it for, rather than what they're doing it for, for the benefit of others. So becoming an elder is really a sacrifice, and we need to do these heart checks. Not unwilling, but willing. Not for dishonest gain, but to serve. Not because you must, but because you're eager to serve Jesus' people. And this is so crucial. And then verse 4, he sort of gives an encouragement, if you like. If elders oversee the flock as God intends, they will receive an unfading crown of glory from the chief shepherd Jesus when he returns. There can be no greater incentive Than to be awarded that imperishable wreath of victory, that crown of glory. It isn't going to fade like the Olympians' gold medals that will eventually not be quite as shiny and they could get stolen. Um, Nothing can compare with the reward of building up God's people to know and love Jesus and stand firm under fire. That will last forever. God will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Peter now moves to the next stage of his three point plan. He's addressed the elders and pretty comprehensively. He now addresses younger people, says, Younger people, humbly submit to the wisdom of your elders. So verses 5 through to 7. In the same way, so with the same kinds of self-reflection and attitudes, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. So Peter's addressing those who will be following leaders, elders. Inevitably, they are mostly younger people. Not all, always, though. And it's never so crucial as when the church is undergoing persecution. It requires the deep grace of God to submit to your leaders when you think you could do a better job. It requires humility to trust that others may know more than you about a situation and the best way to tackle it. Maybe you don't have all the facts and they do. It requires real humility to bear with the imperfections of our seniors and their shortcomings and resist the temptation to dishonor them and reject their counsel and try to take over. That would be disastrous in a time of persecution. The fall of Adam and Eve show us what happens when people think they know better than God. And it leads to disaster. So Peter reminds these suffering Christians about the truth of Proverbs 3.34. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He'll do that for the elders if they're proud, but he'll also do it with younger people if they're proud. Pride will bring us into a collision course with God and we won't win that contest. I find it chilling to think about what it must be like to have God as your opponent. He opposes the proud. It'd be like Pharaoh, Pharaoh who, who wound up drowned in the Red Sea. Be like Satan, who's going to be cast into the lake of fire. You can't win against God. So verses 6 and 7 show younger people a way forward. Be humble, submit to the elders and wait for God's timing. Take the attitude of David, he'd been anointed as king... But Saul was still on the throne and he refused to take matters into his own hands and usurp authority, even though God had promised the kingdom to him. And he said no. And he resisted urgings from his own men to try and kill Saul when he had the opportunity. Don't take matters into your own hands. Wait for God's timing. He's got a better plan than you and I can dream up. So be humble, submit to the elders, wait for God's timing and cast your anxieties in the meanwhile on God who cares for you and for everyone else who's undergoing persecution. Many a disaster could have been averted if people heeded the advice of their elders instead of their peers. Think about King Rehoboam in the Old Testament. Solomon's son Solomon dies Rehoboam takes over he asks the older men who'd been advisors of Solomon what should I do with these people and they advised him treat them well look after them show them you care for them and they'll they'll serve you with their lives and then he went to his young peers he said what should I do and they said Beat them, whip them, show them that that my waist is going to be, my my little finger is going to be thicker than my father's waist. So when they, after three days, they all came back together and, and Rehoboam told them which way he was going to go. And he said, I'm going to really get the best out of you guys. I'm going to drive you into the ground. You've been so weak and slack under the blessings of my father. And they rebelled. The kingdom was split and Israel never recovered. It was forever split in two from that time. So, young people, I just encourage you, think through the implications of trying to seize control, especially if you don't know all the facts, especially if you haven't had much experience Try and work with the leadership that you have and honour them. Make their job as easy as possible, not as complicated as possible. Because under times of persecution, the temptation will come to just take matters into your own hands, but doing that is going to be disastrous. So he now moves to the third point. Elders, shepherd God's flock with integrity and willingness as God wants you to. Young people, submit willingly and humbly to the wisdom of your elders. Everyone stand firm in the grace of God and resist the devil. Verses 8 to 11. Be alert. With sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So... Follow Peter's logic here. He's saying you can have godly elders, super confident, holy in the Lord, totally committed to your well-being and you can have really well-behaved, respectful, energetic young people around you who, who are humble and, and don't rebel and they take it on themselves to serve you and make your your job easier. But if you don't stand firm in the grace of God yourself, no one can do it for you. No amount of godly elders, no amount of energetic young people around you can make you stand on your own two feet. Satan will have you for dinner. You can lead the proverbial horse to water, but you can't, you can't make him drink. He's got to drink for himself or he'll perish. So look at verses 8 and 9, the the phrases used. Be alert. Resist Satan. Stand firm in the faith. Use your God-given faculties. Draw on the strength of God and stand in his grace. You need to know the gospel. We all need to know the gospel because under pressure, that's where we need to stand, on the ground that God has given us. Nehemiah refused to listen to the voices of those who opposed him and his plan to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He just wouldn't give them the time of day and, and instead he armed his soldiers, his, his workers with swords. So they had trowels in one hand, swords in the others and they just persevered. That's standing firm in the Lord. That's knowing what God's called you to do and not being distracted, getting on with it, being sober, looking at the situation and saying, I need to do this. The real source of persecution is Satan. He's the real enemy. He's the one prowling around. So just look at the sorts of words that are used here. Discord, breaking ranks and departing from God's wisdom and truth by failing to submit. Disguise, making yourself... Uh, Satan makes himself appear friendly when he's actually our mortal enemy. Don't be deceived. Look through the disguise. Be sober-minded. He'll use doubt. Doubt happens when there's hesitancy to trust God and his care for us and, and doubting God's power to enable us to resist evil and do what's right and good he does loud roaring that's intimidation designed to create fear and panic don't give way before fear and loud roaring satan will do it through um, threats and all kinds of things and we're seeing that more and more in our society we need to stand on the promises of god Distraction diverting us from the real issues so he can attack when we're preoccupied with ourselves and not alert because we're looking in the wrong direction. It's a bit like he will try and do to us what, what a dog owner will do when he needs to get something off the dog. He'll have a stick and he'll throw it and try and hope the dog will chase the stick so he can grab what the dog's guarding. That's what Satan will do to us if we're distracted. If we get caught up and lose sight of what's really at stake. And he's out for keeps. He's not known for mercy. He devours. He consumes. The stakes are high. Rebellion. He'll use rebellion. Failing to submit to God and his rightful leaders. Like repeating the sin of Adam. So a proud or a doubting believer will be a sitting duck. For Satan because he won't resolutely choose God's way he will always be vulnerable not because he doesn't have the right people around him not because he doesn't have um, people who will help him but because he thinks he knows better or because he doubts that God is, will be with him to stand up under persecution so Peter wraps up his three-point plan just with some quick encouragement, some final greetings, if you like, verses 12 to 14. I won't spend any real time on it. He just says, be confident in God's grace and stand fast in it, verse 12. Stand fast. Verse 13, know that you're not alone. You're Christian brothers and sisters in Babylon, which is probably code for Rome who are also undergoing persecution, they send their greetings to you. The inference is that by the grace of God, they're standing firm, and so you can too by the grace of God. Verse 14, keep treating each other with love and God's peace will be with you. Don't self-destruct, don't fight and argue amongst yourselves, and the peace of God will sustain you. Just want to wrap up. I'll remind you of the the words in verses 10 and 11 of this chapter. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand in need of your grace. We are weak people, weak in ourselves, greatly tempted to protect ourselves rather than lay down our lives for others. Greatly tempted to want good things for ourselves and neglect the needs of others or that they might have the same kind of aspirations. Father, will you grace your church broadly and this church in particular with leaders that are eager and willing to serve you, leaders who will stand firm in the grace of God who will not give ground to the enemy and who will model to younger people what it means to stand firm in the faith, to resist Satan and his loud roarings and all all his bravado, all his lies and deceptions and to trust you. Give us encouragement, Father. Only you can do this. We do not have within ourselves the capacity to do this. And so we go to those promises never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I will build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Thank you, Lord. Will you please help each of us, whether old or whether leaders, whether young, whether not leaders, to trust you, to know the God of all grace, to know Jesus Christ who lived and died and rose again for sinners, that we might stand firm, confident that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and rose again on the third day. This is where we stand, on holy ground. In Jesus we pray. Amen.